This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. On the bigger picture, and I'm Juliet Jacobs. Malaysia Day is just around the corner, and we can look forward to two majestic cultural traditions being performed: Seni Riog of Johor and Manora of Kelantan, in conjunction with the upcoming Malaysia Day. So, said to naturally complement each other with many points of confluence and comparison, the performances are part of Malam Pusaka di Ruang Kota, a series of cultural evenings in our capital city, featuring performances by masters of living traditions from throughout Malaysia, and organised by cultural organisation Pusaka. So here to share a one-on-one on these traditions and to discuss what's in store is Pauline Fan, the Creative Director of Pusaka. Welcome, Pauline. How are you today? Hello, Julia. Lovely to be here. Lovely to have you on the show. So good to uh, see you again. So, yeah, we just caught up very recently about, yes. you know, 20th anniversary of Pusaka. And I remember you guys telling me about, you know, these ongoing performances that you guys are having. And um, this is not the first one, right? The one that's coming up. There no. was one. So we've had a series. Um, this Malam Pusaka di Ruangkota is a series that we've been doing. It was somewhat... Uh, Disrupted by the pandemic, of course, but mm-hmm. we did manage to do two others. Um, this was we did one last year on Wayangkulit at University of Malaya, mm-hmm. and earlier this year we uh, presented a Teochew puppetry at Publica. That's right, and yes. were very well received, if yes, I remember correctly. Absolutely, yes. And so this one, of course, um, is uh, we've got Reog. Am I seeing it correctly? Yes, Reog. Reog and Menorah in store. Um, can we do maybe a little one hundred and one on each? So let's start mm-hmm. with Reog, right? So I know it's a tradition that originates in uh, Ponorogo, East Java. In Java, yes. Yes, and I was also reading that the word Reog is Javanese in origin and comes from the Javanese rieg or riet, mm-hmm. uh, uh, which means noisy or crowded. I yes, guess. well, it, it is that kind of tradition. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Can you talk to me about the origins? So yeah. the, yes, it's um, it's usually called in Java reog ponorogo because it really is a tradition that is that comes from the ponorogo um, area mm-hmm. of East Java. Um, and what, what you find in Johor is a very authentic form because you will find that many of the descendants of Javanese descent who settled in Johor around the late 19th, early 20th century. Many of those communities, in fact, came from East Java, Mm -hmm. and many actually came from Ponorogo. So what you have is they brought their traditions, of course, Mm -hmm. um, with them, and some of them, after many years of establishing all the agricultural uh, activities that they were doing, also started cultural activities, Mm -hmm. and Reok Ponorogo was one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, So the Reok Ponorogo, it is a tradition that incorporates a little bit of storytelling, dance, music. Um, it is based on a legend, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, um, I can go through the legend, but briefly, it's quite an elaborate legend, but it has to do with the king of Ponorogo, who goes on a little journey to seek the hand of the princess of Kadiri, which is the neighboring kingdom. Okay. Um, and this, the legend has it that when the king, um, and the king in Java, is it, when they perform it, you actually have the character of the king as well. And he has a red mask, um, very kind of regal figure. Um, so he's a masked dancer and he's usually accompanied by his um, companion who is called Bujangano, mm-hmm. like a wise kind of trickster, um, but also a wise man, um, playful character, also masked dancer. Um, the Bujangano and the king go on this journey and when they enter the kingdom of Kadiri, 
they encounter a ferocious singer barong. So a singer barong, mythical lion-like creature with peacock feathers as well, um, which is actually the centerpiece of the Reo Bonarogo tradition. Okay. Um, and legend has it that is that when they entered that kingdom, at first the singer barong was protecting the princess and protecting the... She's the guardian of the forest of the kingdom of Kadiri. But eventually, and there's several versions of that story, you know, there's several versions. Some of the legends say that um, a huge battle ensued and some of them say that the king defeated the singer Barong or some of them say that eventually the two joined forces mm-hmm. and that then they all uh, made their way to the Astana um, or to the Kraton and sought the hand of the princess mm-hmm. and eventually then there was um, a union but she said she only would accept the the proposal of the king of Ponorogo if he created a new art form that would that nobody had seen before and then they created this uh, incredible majestic procession like performance of Reo Ponorogo mm-hmm. so that is somewhat the basis of the story. There's, there's many different versions, as most oral traditions um, are, many versions of that story. Um, there are different characters. So I think the thing that's, that's most distinctive about the Reok Bonarogo when you see it performed in, uh, in Malaysia as well, you will notice that there are very distinct characters who, who come out. They kind of take their turns to emerge and take the center um, stage. Um, one of them is the Bujangano, okay. the companion of the king. The king himself... In Malaysia, I haven't seen a masked dancer playing the king. They, we have the Bujangano. All right. um, and then we have also the Jatilan, who are now ladies. Traditionally in Java, they were uh, Gemblak, who was kind of pretty boys. Okay. So that's the traditional way they used to perform it. Now even in Java, they, um, now it's become a female, a female um, performer. role. Okay. Yes, usually. I mm-hmm. think there might still be some pretty boys around, but, but <laughs> okay. tradi- nowadays you find more women. Um, and there's a very distinctive kind of style of dress. Um, and they ride, Jatilan, they are riding little kudas. So like the kuda kepang, but it's not the kuda kepang dance. It's, it's kind of related to the kuda kepang, but they're not doing an actual kuda kepang dance. They are also uh, symbolizing the, the army mm. of the king mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Going, into, uh, going into the kingdom of Kadiri. Okay. So... You have the beautiful Jatilan dancers, graceful uh, Jatilan dancers. And then you have the singer Barong, who is usually the, the center of the, of the entire performance. And it, it's an incredible thing. It's an incredible, um, it's an incredible performer and performance to watch because the headdress, it's actually a headdress. It's not really a mask. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a headdress that the performer bites to oh, wow. keep on his head. And it's actually, it's huge and it's, and it's very, very heavy. It's about seven feet high. This is not including himself. Okay. So he's wearing, on top of his own natural height, he's wearing a headdress of about seven feet. And it's usually about 40 to 50 kg so in basically weight. basically a person. He's yes. biting a person. Yes, and, and, and he dances with it. Oh, my It's word. incredible. So you need incredible strength, but you also need incredible grace. Mm-hmm. And the performer who performs, um, who is our singer Barong, mm-hmm. um, with this wonderful group who we work with, um, his name is Wat Mugi. He's originally from East Java. East Java. Okay. It, it's, so it's definitely part of his tradition. Um, he, but he's been in Malaysia for a long time. He's settled here. And Malaysia is now his home. Um, and he is one of the elders of this group, Sri Wayuni. Um, Sri Wayuni themselves are a really wonderful group. They were founded by the late Wakmat, mm-hmm. who is the um, 
he was the founder of that group, and I think they founded in 1970, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, 1970. Um, yes, so in 1970. 50 years. 50 years, yes, exactly. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, I never met Watmart, but I spoke to him several times when I first started um, working with this group and seeking them out. Um, it was actually my Kudakepang group who introduced me to this group because they're, they're okay. all in the same area and they're all, they're all very good friends. Um, they know each other well. So our Kudakepang group introduced me to Sri Wayuni. And Watmart at that time, I spoke to him several times, but unfortunately he passed away um, before I could meet him. Okay. But I'm now working with his, uh, his son-in-law and his daughter are kind of leading that group now, mm-hmm. along with the elder Wat Mugi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is this the only group uh, in Malaysia that you know of that are continuing with this tradition? Actually, no. There are several groups in Batu Pahat who still continue this tradition. There's okay. several. There's also Satya Budi, mm-hmm. um, Wat Misrond, who I've worked with before as well, but we've worked with him more on the Wayankulit Jawa tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wat Misrond also has a little, uh, also does Rayog. And there's a few groups who do actually in that area because it's just part of their heritage. And I think it's a wonderful thing. The Sri Wayuni is very well known um, among the rail groups also because they make their own singabarong. Wow. So the singabarong that you will witness at, at uh, the performance, uh, Malam Pusaka, is made by them. It's handmade. It's an incredible thing to witness, actually. Do, do they all usually typically look the same or like every different group who performs it will have their own sort of like... There are um, similarities for sure. I mean, the singer barong has a distinctive look. Mm-hmm. It is this... Um, I know it's singer, but they use harima skin, actually. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so it looks tiger, lion um, in between. Yeah. And then it has peacock. a whole headdress of peacock feathers. Okay. And the peacock feathers... I've been told sometimes can go up to a thousand wow. peacock feathers, okay. which they use to uh, to decorate the singer barong. And from what Sri Wayuni told me is the best place to get it is the butter case. <laughs> of course. <Yes. laughs> and it's a very delicate, uh, I mean, it, it's a sturdy headdress, of course, but it's also delicate, of course. So transporting the singer barong headdress is another thing. It's a thing in itself. <laughs> another production. Okay. That's yep, yep. That's another story. Um, you know, let's say somebody's coming to see it, right? What, what mm. would they? What's in store for them? What, what would they expect to see? You will witness the musicians, traditional musicians, of course. Um, the traditional musicians will accompany the performance, and the music itself is also very distinct. Mm-hmm. Um, they have the kanong, um, which is very Javanese. They have, of course, gundang. They have a huge gundang, and then they have a huge Sri Wayuni gong. That's a very distinctive <laughs> thing about Sri Wayuni. Um, and they have the slumpret. So which is a reed instrument, mm-hmm. much higher pitch than the surunai. Okay. But the slumpret is a very distinctive sound and kind of gives that, that really sort of heady, headiness to the, to the whole thing. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, very distinctive. And then usually in a performance of this kind of setting, the dancers will come out one by one. So this time we have one Bujang Ganong dancer. Um, so he will emerge and do his kind of trickster, playful, incredibly uh, beautiful dance. Um, very engaging. Much of it is also improvised. Sometimes it's not all choreographed and always every performance that they do is slightly different mm-hmm. because they adapt it according to the audience. They adapt it according to uh, to the occasion. Um, sometimes traditionally nowadays they're invited to do kind of five, ten minute things at weddings. An appearance oh, okay. at a wedding. Okay. So that's a ten minute thing. Okay. But an actual thing can be 40, 45 minutes, which is what we're doing mm-hmm. um, on Saturday, Saturday, yes. Okay. All right, excellent. But then, um, so you'll have the Bujanganong emerging, then you'll have the Jatilan dancers emerging, and then in the end you'll have the big singer Barong who emerges, and then there's a, there's a kind of ritual of flirtation that happens. So the centerpiece of the perhaps dance or interaction between all those characters, usually it's the um, singer Barong flirting 
with the Jassilon dancers. <laughs> and it's a very interesting, that's one of the points of comparison, actually, um, between the Manora and the Sunni Rayog. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of seduction that happens in the in the dance. Okay, all right. Well, we're going to find yeah. out more about Ma Manora, but let's just go for one quick break. I'm speaking today to Pauline Fan. She's the creative director of Pusaka. She's telling us all about, you know, Malam Pusaka di Ruang Kota, which is a series of cultural evenings happening over in KL at Rex KL, uh, to be precise. And this Saturday, you get to catch Sunni Rayog of Johor and Manora of Kelantan. We'll have more after this quick break. You're listening to Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. It's Malaysia Day tomorrow and on Saturday we are going to be very lucky to catch two performances. Uh, part of Malam Kota, Malam Pusaka di Ruang Kota which is a series of cultural evenings happening over in KL, in Rex KL organised by cultural organisation Pusaka. With me today, Creative Director of Pusaka, Pauline Fahn. She's telling us all about the two performances, Sunni Ryuk uh, of Johor and also Manora. So before the break, uh, Pauline, you know, you explained everything about Sunni Ryuk. It sounds amazing. I don't think I think many of us have never had the chance no. No, it's that. not that common to see it in KL. Yeah, so really, really you know, uh, some uh, an opportunity not to be missed. But now maybe we can talk a little bit about Manora, mm-hmm. um, you know, which um, I understand it was also known as Nora Chatri. Um, yes. Yeah, can you talk to me about, you know, yes. how the word Manora was, de- uh, where the word Manora was derived from, mm-hmm. you know, its origins, all of that. Yes. So Manora um, is also known as Nora Chatri, usually in, the, in South Thailand. Um, or Manora or Nora. There's many different versions of, of the word. Uh, but Manora in uh, in Kelantan, we work with Manora in Kelantan. We've been working with that tradition for, for many, many years with several different masters, actually. We used to work with the the late, legendary Pa Echom, mm-hmm. um, who was really legendary status, not just in Kelantan, but I think um, throughout anyone who knew about traditional arts in Malaysia, he was really a legend. Um, but Pa Echon passed away in uh, 2011, if I'm not mistaken. And so it took us a while to actually start to work with a different troupe. But now now we're working with this wonderful group, uh, Kumpulan Manora Chitmanit from Bukit Yong in Kelantan. Okay. Um, and the Manora tradition is it's a tradition that also incorporates legend as well as music dance storytelling. Um you find it in South Thailand. It's very much a South Southern Thai uh, tradition, folk tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, but you will also find it in the border regions of Malaysia. So you find it in Kelantan. You find it in also Kedah, Perlis and Penang. Okay. Um, I'm not sure so much about what the status is of those traditions on the West. But in Kelantan, there are still a couple of groups who are still doing it actively. And this group that we're working with, the, the Chitmanik group, is one of the few actually doing it very actively. Mm-hmm. And also committed to passing it down to the next generation. Um, this the Manora is really fascinating because it also, in the Kelantan style of Manora, 
it's become very Cantonese. So if you if you actually compare the manora, how they perform it in uh, in Thailand, and just to mention that in Thailand it has just recently received the UNESCO um, status of cultural heritage. Oh, so um, the Thais are very much trying to to kind of keep it alive and revive it and and treasure it, um, safeguard that tradition. Um, but even the Thais also recognize the manora Kelantan as a distinct version of manora. Um, so it's all very respectful and very embracing. Um, the Manora in Kelantan uses Kelantanese music, mm-hmm. completely Kelantanese music, yeah. which is so different from the Thai music that you hear in uh, in Thai Manora. Um, they also have incorporated Kelantanese dialect. So what you'll find is a really interesting confluence of cultures happening in a performance because they open still with... Um, the incantation, which is a commemoration to teachers called the Kung Kru, which is sung in Thai. Okay. And all the dancers are usually Thai Cantonese. All the musicians are usually Malay Cantonese, Malay Muslim Cantonese, and Cantonese style music, distinct but Cantonese. And some of the dialogue that happens, improvised dialogue, now happens in Kechiklate. Wow. So it's a really organic, wonderful. Um, embodiment of cultural confluence. And that's been happening for centuries, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. um, traditionally, they used to perform in Thai Wats. Nobody had a problem just going to a Thai Wat, whatever religion you are, to, to perform that. Um, so, yes, the, the manora, the word manora, is, actually comes from the legend. And so the legend, um, it also has to do with a, a love story. Okay. And this is based on the princess manora, who is... If you look at Thai mythology or Hindu Buddhist mythology, there is a character of a celestial bird-like creature mm-hmm. called the Kinari. Okay. Yes. So the Kinari, which is a celestial bird-like maiden, um, Ma- Princess Manora is a Kinari. And oh. there are seven sisters. And uh, the youngest one, Manora, is the most beautiful and the most loveliest maiden. Um, and the legend has it, again, there's many different versions, but one of the basic outline of that story is that um, they used to come to a certain pond to bathe and then one day, and then in a particular kingdom, and one day there was a hunter, the royal hunter, who saw them and said, this would make a wonderful gift for my prince, that kind of thing. Sure, and of course, sure. captured, <laughs> captured the menorah and presented her to the prince, Prince Prasuton. So the name of the prince is Prasuton. Um, and of course, the prince, who is a good prince, he falls in love with Manora. And she is also charmed by him. So, okay. so there is a love story there. And then, then, of course, the adventure happens and the intrigues happen and then the kingdom comes under attack and the prince goes off to war. And apparently one of the ministers, one of the wicked ministers, plots <laughs> that the only way to save the kingdom is to sacrifice Manora. And, of, and Manora, in the meantime, she's, she loves the prince, but she also longs to return to her kingdom because she was captured. True. Yeah, she's there kind of against her will. Okay. Um, so she's longing to return. But so she says that she will willingly sacrifice herself. And so they prepare a bonfire and everything to sacrifice Manora while the prince is away. But then she says her last request is that she perform the final dance before she is sacrificed. And while she does that dance and they're preparing the bonfire, she flies up. She flies away to the heavenly <laughs> kingdom and returns to her, to her celestial abode. Okay. Um, and then, of course, the prince returns and discovers what's happened. And then he is, of course, he just wants to follow Manora. So he, he goes in search of her. And then there's another whole thing of adventures. And then finally they reunite. And so there's that 
again, there's that wonderful, uh, this very elaborate love story yes, and adventure yes. and, and politics as well thrown in. And of course, some intrigue and all A of lot that. of intrigue. Yes. So what you see in the Manora, um, the dancers, it's a very interesting... Um, it's a very interesting kind of embodiment of the characters as well because it took me a while to also see the layers of it because when you first see a menorah dancer, they're just so stunning. They're just absolutely graceful and mesmerizing and the music is mesmerizing, actually very hypnotic. Mm -hmm. Um, But then you kind of realize that they're not telling the story in a kind of straightforward way. The dancer, the figure of the dancer, at least this is the way I see it, is actually embodying both the element of the menorah as well as the prince. I see. So you actually find that because he has those bird-like qualities, whether it's a he or she, sometimes in Thailand you also find women who play the main role, but but they actually embody both the prasuton and the menorah princess. Um, and then you usually have a few inang inang, a few dancers, female dancers, who are kind of perhaps the sisters of menorah. Um, but the main character, who is called Patsitong in the Klantanese uh, tradition, really embodies both those characteristics. And so they also very much embody both male, masculine and feminine qualities. Qualities and energies, yes, right? Yes, yeah. within that dance and within their, uh, their, their being. Um, and in fact, one of the traditional ways in which a Manora dancer was trained, at least Pa Echom, the, the late Pa Echom used to tell us that when he was young, um, he was dressed in girls' clothing for a while. As a, as a little boy, to to develop and absorb the the natural femininity that was required of a menorah dancer. That's amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, and and so gender fluidity is the other thing that there are similarities as well. It in the Rayok tradition, it's a little bit more, I think, clear of male and female. However, there is an element to the to the legend that was told to me. It's not so apparent when you watch the performance, but it was told to me by the performers um, several. Also from what Misron from the other group also told me that actually the apparently when the king of Bonorogo finally meets the princess of Kadiri, she's actually transgender. This oh. is what they've told me, that actually she's not really just a woman. Okay. But it's important to understand that those the gender fluidity and the and the transcendence of natural biological borders and categories mm-hmm. is actually something to seen to be magical. And something to seem to be majestic and sacred in some ways, right? So mm. all of those things belong to Kayangan. They all belong to the celestial realm. Um, so they're not normal human beings. Mm-hmm. None of them are normal human beings, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's fascinating. Yes, it is yeah. very fascinating. Yeah, okay. It is. And, and it's nice that they're still practicing it that yes. way as well. Yes, they are. They are. And to them, it's natural. And, you know, they don't think of it as yeah, exactly. gender in the way that we think. They never do, I think. I think it's just a, no- a natural thing that they... It's part of their culture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they don't have the same um, categories that we have. And they don't have the same hang-ups, I think, yeah. as many of us. <laughs> and, and that's wonderful to hear. And yeah. what would you say the dance movements are characterized by? Mm. For Manora? Uh, yes, for Manora, it is very graceful. Okay. The, the, um, so the, the main dancer, Pak Sichong, wears these wonderful long nails yeah. made of silver. Mm-hmm. They are called Changai in Malay. Um, and they're these kind of curved silver. Yeah. Incredibly beautiful and incredibly graceful. Um, he also wears these very elaborate costumes, or the, the kachopong, which is the headdress, which yes. is this beautiful Thai headdress. And the Thai, um, the kachopong, uh, the Thai kachopong and the Malay kachopong is slightly different, or the Malaysian, Kadlantanese style Kadlantanese is slightly style, different. Yeah. They have slightly different uh, kind of 
carvings. And, uh, and of course, there's many, many legends that come with menorah as well that say many of the menorah dancers also used to put minyak, uh, this kind of love potion, <laughs> into, in, in their kajopong to charm and to attract, captivate the audience. Oh. But it is that kind of, I mean, some do and some perhaps don't have to. <laughs> but, but really, I think uh, the menorah is one of those things that it is so mesmerizing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It really is. The, I mean, all the traditions we work with are, but there's something about the menorah which is a little bit hypnotic. Okay. And you do feel like you're in a little bit of a... Like a trance? Yeah, yeah. a bit trance-like. Trance-like, um, okay. The music itself is kind of like that. And the definitely the dance and the incantation that happens, it does put you into this kind of incredible trance-like state where you are just willing to be seduced. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's a... So after the um, the main dancer, the Patsitong, s- starts sitting down. So he starts sitting down um, and he does the kind of uh, incantation, which is commemoration to the teachers, basically. There's usually one or two songs that are sung to commemorate his teachers. Um, after that, he starts to, to do the movements and incredibly graceful. And then the inang inang mm-hmm. come and they do a... Flirtation dance, courting dance, perhaps, if you like. Yeah. Okay. okay. And yeah. I was reading something that you said, actually, mm-hmm. that in Klantan, there's been sort of mutual influence among the traditions of menorah and also makyong. Yes, yes, absolutely. So but traditionally, they used to very often play in the same pangong oh. or at the same occasion. So before the ban, um, before the 1990s, many of these groups were itinerant. So they used to move from kampong to kampong or from pesta to pesta or from town to town. And very often um, what they would do is they would either they themselves would organize or they would be invited to perform something and sometimes maybe an hour of Mat Yong and an hour of Menorah. And that's how I think the music started to influence each other because right. then you would they would very often have the same musicians. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. musicians who play the Mat Yong music would also then learn how to play the Menorah. And then it naturally had a lot of cross-influence and including the lakon part, which is the, the drama part. We're not doing much of the drama, but we're doing the full dance, which is also rare to see. Nowadays, you don't usually see the full uh, dance yeah. sequence. But for the lakon part too, quite influenced by, uh, by Mat Yong as well. Okay, okay. Improvised. And with the manora, it's not necessarily that they're doing the story of the, of the manora. So that was a popular story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was a popular story. But they also used to do other okay. stories, depending on what the the host requested or what they felt was the, the right thing. And so sometimes some of these stories uh, overlapped. Okay. okay. Yeah. And the performance that we're going to see is, as you mentioned, like a full dance one. So it's about an hour. It's about an hour. About yes, an hour, about an right? hour for the full dance. Um, followed by about 45 minutes of the full rayok. Okay, yes. all right. I mean, that sounds amazing. And, you know, as you mentioned, and as, uh, you know, there are so many things that complement each other, right? Both mm. the Sunny Rayok and also the uh, Manora. Yes. Um, and I know that you guys are also having some pre-performance workshops. Yes, we are. We are. So the performance starts at 8.30, runs till about 10.30. But in the afternoon at 4 o'clock, we are having um, performance workshops by both groups. Lovely. We will be doing... I can't remember which one goes first, but please come at 4 p.m. Um, they will basically go through a quick introduction to each of their traditions, and then participants will learn some simple dance movements mm-hmm. um, and learn how to move like a menorah bird or like a <laughs> ferocious singer <Singapore. laughs> 
I wonder. Well, if I, d- I think I don't think they can actually wear. The, it's a bit dangerous. <laughs> yes, but they can definitely learn how to move like a bujanganong or a jatilan, or even just do the movements of the singabarang without the headdress. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think for everyone's safety, we yes, should do yes. that. And, and that's open to everyone, isn't it? It's Ooh. open to everyone. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. That's amazing. And also, uh, as you mentioned, the performance uh, starts at eight thirty. It's over mm-hmm. at Rex KL, right? So, yes. um, uh, do people do folks need to do anything before they attend? Um, well, initially we said no registration needed, but now Rex has requested that if they can, just so that they can gauge the numbers. Yeah. So if they would like, if people would like to drop their names, that would be helpful. Um, we'll put the link is up on actually Rex KL's uh, Instagram. Okay. In the link is in the bio. Okay, I'll look yes. for that and put yes. that in the podcast description. Yes, as yes, well. that would be yeah. great. Okay, yes. all right. And I mean, you you must be so excited about this, right? I mean, I don't think, yes. like I said, I don't think I've ever seen this in KL. Uh, well, not in yeah. the recent history, anyway. No, no, that's true. Um, we brought the Menorah, the same group, but with a different main dancer. We brought this Menorah group to public years ago. This was quite some years ago. I think it was 2016, actually. Gosh, okay. quite some years ago. Um, but we've been working with them closely. We did a during the pandemic, we did a, an online um, feature about them, mm-hmm. um, featuring this dancer, Kunwai. Uh, Kun so also, I would like to mention something about the dancers, actually. This uh, Kunwai, who is the, is the principal dancer who will be dancing the menorah, he is from a family of also really great menorah dancers as well. His father, um, Eler, was a great dancer and teacher, was a great teacher. And so even... And he's the, he's kind of the godfather figure of that entire group. So all the even the Inang and also the other principal dancer who's not coming with us, he was also Ella's student. Wow. And so, and the menorah tradition is like that. They really have these incredible figures who root that tradition. Mm-hmm. And so, and they knew Paichum very well as well. So it's kind of a natural, um, it's a natural community for us to work with after the passing of Paichum because. Our relationship with Baijun was very, very close. He was really like family to us. Mm-hmm. And so to find another group like that with the same kind of trust and the same kind of um, closeness and uh, respect for each other's work, um, it's not easy, actually. And yeah. so we were really, really actually happy to find Kun Nwai and Kun Atit and this Chitmanik group. And it took us some time also to talk to them, to know they already knew us through Faechom, they knew we were working with Faechom. And so, of course, the, tr- the initial trust was there, but it takes still a lot of time to build and to become close and then to really work together. All of these things take years. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, same with the rail group, same with the rail group. We've now been working with them for, for quite a lot of years as well. And, and I think those relationships are so important. They really, sure. yeah, it does, you need the patience, you need the, you need the tenacity, <laughs> Yeah, and and the openness on both ends, I think, on mm-hmm. both sides to really trust each other. Mm-hmm. And you've had yeah. a, a long-lasting relationship with them yes. now, right? Yeah. Yes, long-lasting with all of our groups, with yeah. all of our groups, okay. absolutely. Yeah, and it's yeah. lovely that you're doing this for Malaysia Day because, you know, it's it's mm. got so many different influences coming into yes. it, isn't that it? Yes, that is actually, that's the other thing, the other point of comparison and confluence, which I thought was important to emphasize, is that these are not part of the mainstream cultural whatever that we usually assume is Malaysian. Um, It doesn't fall neatly into any of those categories because it is, I mean, it's not exactly Malay. It's very Javanese, but the Javanese also, sometimes people forget. They think Javanese is just from Indonesia. The Javanese are very much part of Malaysia as well. There are huge communities of Javanese descendants who still want to practice and still speak Javanese, Mm -hmm. and they still maintain their Javanese traditions. And so just as we recognize 
other groups of diaspora um, who are settled and very much Malaysian, but they still continue. The Javanese as well. It's not just people who come from mainland wherever, but it's <laughs> even Tanah Besar Jawa is also another. Um, Correct. Yeah. yeah. And also then it's very Nusantara. So this, this um, Malam Pesaka is very Nusantara. Then mm-hmm. you have South Thailand, which is also part of that, um, our larger influence. And I mean, at one time, there were no borders, right? Correct. At one time, the borders were so porous that you couldn't really say, this is, this is Kelantan or this is Malaysia and this is Thailand. It was exactly. all kind of one culture. So presenting the Manora also emphasizes that, that actually our connections and our communities go back so much further than national, nation-state borders, mm-hmm. right? They are, they've been there, they've developed over centuries, and the Manora is an expression of that. Yeah. It's very much an expression of that. Yeah, I mean, what did, what is it to be Malaysian, right? Mm. There are, we're not just like neatly in these three main boxes and then, no. you know, the Lion Line and all of that. No, so there's absolutely. so many influences, not just, yes. you know, uh, yeah, in terms of our arts and culture. So really fascinating and I uh, can't wait to see it. So that's again happening this uh, Saturday, the 17th of September over at Rex KL. Uh, we'll put the link in the website uh, in the podcast description, you know, for folks to go and register. But also there's the pre-performance workshop, as uh, Pauline mentioned, that's from four o'clock onwards. Also at Rex KL? Also at Rex KL. Okay, yes. all right. Um, thank you so much, Pauline, for joining me thank today. You. Um, any last message you'd like to leave us with um, ahead of uh, Malaysia Day, of course? Well, um, just to say that really I think Malaysia Day is a time to, to celebrate ourselves in the most meaningful ways. And one of the ways is, I mean, these traditional arts are not, they're not just, uh, they're not kind of products or commodities for us to, to just look at and, and appreciate. I think we really have to also feel that they're part, we're part of them and, and that they belong to us as well. And so I hope when people come, really embrace it as your own as well. This is all part of Malaysia, you know, and I think one of the best ways to recognize that and to celebrate it is just to, to encounter and to discover. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much, Pauline, Thank you. for joining me today. I've been speaking to Pauline Fan. She is the creative director of Pusaka. If you'd like to find out more, just head to pusaka.org. I think also the Rex KL uh, Instagram page, right? Yes, you and said? Pusaka's Instagram and page. Pusaka's uh, Instagram page for yes. more information. And if you miss any part of our conversation today, you can always download the podcast at bfm.my slash learn, or you can find it on the BFM app. This has been Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. <laughs> You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.